Good morning, ministers. I want to warn you before I get started this morning, this is less like a sermon and more like just a talk about a subject that I think is very important in the times and the days we're living in today. When I was growing up, there was a program I used to watch. You probably remember it. It was called Lost in Space. Who remembers that program? I know Robert remembers that program. <laughs> Lost in Space. The plot of the TV series was about a family, the Robinson family, coincidentally. <laughs> Launching out into space on a special mission to some distant planet. But during their travels, an asteroid collides with their ship and knocks them far off course and they have to make a forced landing, an emergency landing on a planet that they do not know of, that they're not familiar with. And the Robinson family becomes lost in space. And they have no direction because they do not know where they are. They can't make a plan because they have no idea of what challenges they might face in this brand new environment. They're lost in space. Every child is born into the world in this same context. She departs from the warmth and the shelter of her mother's womb into a cold and extremely bright environment that hurts her eyes. And her first interaction with this new environment is being turned upside down like it used to be and slapped across the backside. Not only is her new world extremely bright, it also appears to be violent. And the baby is essentially lost in space. Cast out into a dangerous and an abrasive environment where if left to himself, he wouldn't survive not even for one day. But in God's grand design, God has established a system It is a system that up until very recently, a system that was revered by all humans. It is a system that for nefarious reasons have, has fallen into out of vogue today, both with children and with their parents. It is the system of mentorship. To mentor, is to be designated as the primary influencer in another person's life. The job of the mentor is to provide guidance and encouragement and direction to those who do not know the way, mentorship. And in the context of this baby, the parents have the responsibility of providing mentorship. One of the first things the parent does is to name their child. Naming the child is a part of mentorship, or at least it used to be. 
Today we just look into the big book of names and we choose the name that sounds the cutest. We just look over the past decade and see what name has been most popular and we name our children that. My daughter is named Latifah. Because Queen Latifah was very popular when my daughter was born. We just name our children after celebrities. Or, but in the Old Testament, it wasn't this way. In the Old Testament, when a parent named their child, it named the child according to character traits. It named the child according to their hopes and expectations for the child's future. It named, she named the child according to the promises of God on her life, on his life. Naming was important. Because by your name, a child could grow up with a certain idea about who they were, and how they were to live. In other words, their names gave them direction. Their names gave them guidance starting out. Over in Europe, it used to be very popular, and it is still popular today in some circles, that every family had what they called a family crest. And when you came of age, your family sat you down and showed you the family crest and they explained to you what the crest symbolized, strength and unity, resilience and honor. And you were expected to live up to the standards that were established by that family crest. Your parents were your mentors. And they gave you guidance and direction as to how to live in this world. Today, things are much different. Today, there are those who would have us believe that the names we give our children are coercive in nature, designed to force the child to live up to our expectations at the expense of the child's happiness. And to identify our children's sex, oh my God, don't identify your child's sex, because that's to force them to fit gender patterns that they may not feel comfortable with. The prevailing, or at least the most animated movements today are movements that detest the idea and the concept of mentorship. And these voices demand that we allow our children to be lost in space, to find their own way in life. What a disaster. So at the tender age of seven years old, the parent's role is simply to inform the little child about the many and the various genders and sexes that she can choose. And to allow this seven-year-old with an undeveloped brain to tell the parent who and what she is without the parent's guidance. Because if you try to guide the child, that is considered indoctrination. Without the parent's direction, which is frowned upon as being coercion, society would like for us to allow our children to be lost in space with no guidance and no direction. In 20 years, we will see how this experiment turns out. Mentorship is under attack. And mentorship is, only, is under attack not only from the world, but also within our own churches. Pastors are hired to make life recommendations. 
but they're not to be looked to to provide any firm direction. Pastor's words are deemed to be mere suggestion, not to be understood as strong guidance. And the pastor's words tend to have less influence than social media and its myriad of voices, ideas, and conceptions. Many of our churches are filled today with believers who are lost in space, who often feel alone and discouraged and out of answers and sometimes in great despair, all because they have not been trained to they have not become accustomed to allowing their ordained spiritual guides to lead them through the vagaries and the fluctuating paths of life. They are willingly lost in space. They think that's the way the Christian life is supposed to work. I was on assignment to a church out in the western suburbs when I met one of the members for coffee one morning. Her name was Tammy. And Tammy had had a pretty eventful life. She had been wounded numerous times. Seemingly since the day that she came into the world, she had a lot of problems. Her story was hard, but she wasn't bitter. She was just confused, and she wanted to talk. As I talked to her, I began to offer her some strategies that I wanted her to begin to practice to help her to find her way through the fog of desperation that she was experiencing. And I offered to follow up with her at a later date. Call me, let me know when you want to meet again. But the later date never came. Tammy never called me to set up another appointment. One Sunday after service, I walked over to Tammy and I asked her how things were going. She gave me the exact same report that she had reported to me during our coffee together. Nothing had changed. And upon hearing this, I was perplexed and I said, have you been practicing the strategies that I laid out for you? Have you been following the guidance? <coughs> oh, oh, no, no, I talked to somebody else. They told me that won't work so well. So I'm trying something else. I'm hmm. In essence, Tammy preferred to remain lost in space until she found her own way. She didn't recognize the value of a mentor, so she decided that it was her responsibility to reinvent the wheel. And that's what you do when you don't have a mentor. You just keep reinventing the same old wheel over and over again. Inefficient, ineffective, never growing up because you're trying to do it all on your own when God has provided for you mentors. Timothy had been mentored all of his life. In his early years, before he met the Apostle Paul, Timothy was mentored by his mother and by his grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Timothy wasn't born with sincere faith. Timothy's sincere faith was an inheritance he had received from his mentors, Lois and Eunice. Today, this would be considered indoctrination in the negative sense of that term. 
Today, training up a child in the way that he should go is deemed by many in the Western world as abusive. But Timothy had mentors. Timothy had people in his life who knew the way to eternal life who could guide him and help him along life's path. And so now Paul is in prison. He's out of commission. And he's aware of the fact that this church at Philippi is in need of a mentor to lead them on their journey toward maturity. So he tells them in Philippians chapter 2 verse 19, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. I am sending you a mentor. And the first duty of a Christian mentor is to assess the spiritual state of his protege. Paul says, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. You see, in the kingdom of God, we all know this, that all saints are created equal. In the kingdom of God, there are no big I's and no little U's. God does not respect any man's person. Positionally, we are all the same in the eyes of God. We are all the children of God with the same rights, with the same freedoms. But while we are positionally equal, we are not all in the same spiritual condition. We are not all babes and we are not all mature. We are not all wise and we are not all fools. We are not all healthy and we are not all sick. There are a whole host of in the body of Christ and in the church of Jesus Christ. Timothy is being assigned to Philippi to assess the spiritual condition of this church. And so the question is, how does a Christian mentor assess spiritual health. Let me tell you this, it's not a very easy thing to do. And the first thing I want to say to a would-be Christian mentor is don't believe your lying eyes. Because it is easier to assess spiritual or religious fervor than it is to discern spiritual devotion. And far too often we get these two things confused. For example, I am sure that when Timothy got to town, he's going to be greeted by the best of the best of all of the deacons. I'm certain that Timothy's accommodations during his stay with them is going to be immaculate. I'm sure the services while Timothy is there are going to start on time. I'm sure that all of the ministers are going to be at their assigned posts. I'm sure the ceremony, while Timothy is there, is going to be efficient and impactful. And the novice Christian mentor will assume the church to be spiritually healthy because of their strict attention to detail and their commitments to religious order. There's nothing wrong with religious order. There's nothing wrong with religious fervor, nothing at all. But religious fervor is not the primary barometer of spiritual health, of spiritual growth, no. The seasoned mentor will not judge the book by its cover. The spiritual mentor will open the book. 
She will open the book over time and she will analyze one spiritual page at a time, one after another, not by outward observation, but by spiritual listening, which is just a contemporary way of saying spiritual discernment. The act of spiritual listening, the act of spiritual discernment is the process of engaging all of my natural senses, all of my spiritual experiences, and all of my knowledge of God's word while conversing with another person or while watching other people interact. Spiritual listening, every Sunday. I am deeply engaged in the work of spiritual listening. The art of listening not to the messages that I'm hearing from people, but listening for the meta-messages, for the signals of the people that are under my purview. Spiritual listening. Assessing spiritual growth, assessing spiritual challenges and spiritual struggles and spiritual progress in the things of God. Spiritual discernment. Hearing hearts, engaging thoughts, and praying accordingly. All of this is involved in mentorship, in Christian mentorship. But this aspect of mentoring is not something one learns on his own, even though it can be learned and perfected on your own over time. The process is much simpler. The process is much sure when we have a mentor to observe us as we're practicing this work of spiritual discernment. Timothy has mastered the art of spiritual assessment under the guidance and under the direction of Paul. Listen to what Paul says. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. I like that. That's a high compliment. Paul the Apostle, I'm sending Timothy to you to assess your spiritual condition. I'm sending him because I have no one else of kindred spirit. And this is the goal of mentoring. It is to produce people who not only assume my methodology, but who also assume my spiritual posture, my spiritual values, and my spiritual attitudes. That is the role of mentorship. Timothy was not always of kindred spirit with Paul. It occurred over time. I'll tell you something cute, in a church, church as small as our church, Believe it or not, it is easy to know who is being mentored. And it's easy to know who's being mentored and by whom. It is easy to tell who is under whose tutelage just by spiritual listening. Because you look like the people who you are allowing to speak into your life. You look like the people who you allow to speak into your life. You really do. You want to identify cliques in the church, just listen spiritually, and you will be able to identify who is connected to whom all throughout the church. You tend to look like and to sound like the people who you allow to speak into your life. I'll tell you something else. By spiritual listening, I can know who is receiving the words I'm preaching from the pulpit. I can tell. 
And I can tell because my words are shaping lives into a specific mold that I can recognize as the pattern that I have been sent to design. Paul could tell that Timothy was of the same spiritual cloth as himself, but not because Timothy went around parroting every, every word that Paul said, but because of something much deeper, something that is much more difficult to put into words. But Paul describes Timothy as being of kindred spirit because, like Paul, Timothy shows genuine concern for the welfare of the people of God. That's the hallmark of Paul's ministry. Paul's deep and unwavering care and concern for the churches under his authority. Timothy has inherited the attitude, this attitude from Paul the Apostle. And how does Paul know it? How does Paul come to this conclusion? He makes that assessment of Timothy's spiritual alignment by making comparisons. Watch this. It's never good for you to compare yourself to someone else. In fact, the Bible says it is unwise for you to compare yourself to someone else. But it is the responsibility of any mentor to compare the health and spiritual growth of their protégés to the prevailing attitudes and ideologies of the surrounding culture. How much do you look like the culture? As Paul looks out at the prevailing religious culture, he observes that all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That was the prevailing culture. Preaching for pay, posturing for promotions, pursuing power in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what Timothy was up against. And you better believe Timothy has been tempted to follow that well-worn path of least resistance and to do the right things for all the wrong reasons. But in the spirit of Paul the Apostle, Timothy has not regarded the surrounding religious culture or desired to share in their contemptuous greed and offensive behavior. A good Christian mentor is not someone who just goes with the flow regurgitating what other religious leaders are saying or have said in the past. A profitable Christian mentor does not give guidance or counsel beyond where he himself has been. A healthy Christian mentor is established for the moment in a certain pattern or posture that that mentor received from his mentors, from her mentors. Listen to this. If any believer is not being poured into by a mentor, that person should not pour into the lives of others. Anyone who is not allowing themselves to be mentored should not mentor anyone. Every God-sent mentor has been mentored and is being mentored by other godly people, not just going with the religious flow of the day, not just taking her cues from the prevailing attitudes of her time. God's mentors have integrity and character that has been both tried and tested. Like Timothy, who Paul says in verse 22, has proven character. He's not like the other ones that you're going to find out here, who are seeking their own interests and not the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy has proven character, godly character that cannot be denied. Consistent attitude and perspective that cannot be contested. 
Paul to Timothy has proven himself. And every mentor sent from God has something to prove. Every mentor sent from God has character credentials and a reputation for diligence and love and integrity. It's every good Christian mentor. Every one of them has credentials. And how do they receive their credentials? Who is responsible for affirming the quality and the value of that mentorship? His mentor gives him the credentials. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Listen to how he described the dynamics of this mentor-mentee relationship. Paul confirms that Timothy has served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, listen to this, like a child serving his father. That is the dynamic of a mentor-protege relationship, like a child serving his father. Now we all know the children and fathers don't always get, a, get along. We all know that sometimes children and fathers have falling out, right? We all know that when a child becomes adolescent or becomes a teenager, they very rarely agree with everything their father has to say. So he's not saying that Timothy has been just walking around with his head down, everything Paul says, he, yes sir, Mr. Paul, yes sir, Mr. Paul. No, that's not the way it's working. I'm sure, I'm sure Timothy's giving some pushback. I'm sure sometimes he's saying, no, uh, Apostle Paul, we can do this better. We can do this different. What he's saying is that when Paul lays down the gauntlet and says, no, this is the way we're doing it, follow me, Timothy says, okay, I may disagree, but I respect the fact that you are more experienced and more seasoned than me, and I'm going to just follow along like a father with the children. You don't have to agree, but just obey. And in the end, you find out dad was right. <laughs> dad was right all the time. I, 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 I tell this story about Latifah, about my daughter. My daughter was like 10 years old. There was this book that I really loved called Anne of Green Gables. Anybody read that book? Okay, I'm a guy. I probably shouldn't have even admitted that, but yeah, I like the book. It's a, it's a good story. Anne of Green Gables is a very good story. I bought this book for my daughter. I bought her a very special edition. <laughs> and my daughter refused to read Anna Green Gable. There was nothing I could do. I would sit at the table and say, you're not gonna get up until you read that first chapter. And she would sit there for two hours and not read that first chapter. Just a stubborn kid. Don't know where she got it from. <laughs> very determined to do her own thing, her own way, refusing to be mentored. And I'm trying to tell her, this is going to be good for you. This is a very good story, a very good book, and very good writing. You'll learn a lot. For me, I tried to coach her. I tried to give her rewards. I tried everything I could. And the more I tried, the more she resisted. In fact, she came home about three, maybe four years ago. We're walking through Walmart, and I, walk, I ran across the, the, the movie, Anne of Green Gables. And she pointed to it and said, that's Anne of Green Gables. I still don't know anything about it. <laughs> kind of like, nah, 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 you never made me read Anne of Green Gables. In my mind, I'm saying, you don't understand. You don't understand. Last week, my daughter called me, and you don't know, don't know she was watching on television. Anne of Green Gables. 32 years old, watching Anne of Green Gables. And you know what she said? You were right, Dad. <laughs> this is so, daughter, had you just listened 20 years ago, 
it could have shaped you into something. It could have done some great things in your life. I'm glad you figured it out. It's a little bit late, but you at least figured it out. <laughs> That's a cute story. Yeah, she figured it out. Like a child with his father. Just take the advice and follow the instructions. You may not know right now. You have all of the energy. You have all of the excitement. You're ready to go. And daddy's saying, slow down, slow down, son. Slow down. Don't take a left, take a right. It's quicker if I go left. Son, just slow down and go right. No, dad, I'm telling you, I gotta go left. Okay, go on left. I'll be waiting right when you come back. Because you're coming back. I've already been down that road. I'm telling you what's down there already. That's what Christian mentors do. They just tell you what's up the road. If you keep going in this direction, baby, I'm telling you what's gonna happen now. Well, I know as much as you know. If you knew as much as I knew, I wouldn't be your mentor. I'm telling you that I've been down that road already. And I know what's there. You can avoid yourself a whole lot of pain if you were just like a child with his father. That's very unusual, but that's what Tim that's the relationship Timothy had, Paul had with Timothy. Because Timothy was able to humble himself, God was able to exalt him in due time. A God-sent, God-ordained mentor has submitted himself to the authority of another who knows the way. Like a child with his father. This requires humility. This requires patience. This requires a certain amount of confidence in the one who is mentoring you. <laughs> but we live in an age of distrust and second guessing. We live in an age where you can just click a couple buttons on the computer and you can get the answers to your questions without the need for a mentor or so we think. Mm -mm. That may be the way it works in the world. That is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. God doesn't pass out on, online spiritual degrees. You can't go to the College of the Holy Spirit on social media. It's not there. God still works through people. God still works through relationships. And this is what makes mentoring one of the finer things. It's one of the finer things because God designed mentoring by, uh, God designed this as a means by which he would grow and develop his sons and his daughters in the earth. Listen to me. I am here today because of God sent mentors in my life. Deacon Johnson, who trained me in the way of diligence and service. Pastor Calvin Taylor, who trained me in the way of humility and simplicity. Pastor Robinson, who taught me how to love with sincerity. Pastor Scott Spencer Jefferson, who trained me in the art of spiritual discernment and diligent study of God's word. Dr. Gary Chapman, who guided me in the way of faithful service to the churches of Jesus Christ. Dr. Winfred Neely, who gave me insight into decentralized ministry and leadership philosophy. I am who I am and where I am because I stand on the shoulders of these great men of God. These men whom God placed in my life and to whom I submitted for a season like a child with their father. My leadership style, like it or not, my leadership style reflects Dr. Winfred Neely. 
If you meet him, you would see it. <laughs> My submission to service reflects Dr. Gary Chapman. If you meet him, you will see it. My hopefulness for the church is the reflection of Pastor Calvin Taylor. My diligence to work is the result of the early mentorship of Deacon Johnson. My resilience in ministry is because of Dr. Gary Chapman. I was riding with Dr. Chapman down in Texas one night and he was laying back in his chair. And I was just talking and talking and talking. I love to talk to people when I know that you know more than I know. I just say a whole lot of stuff so that you can pick through what I just said and help me to understand things better. So I'm just talking and talking. Dr. Chapman interrupted me and said, Calvin, what is faithfulness? What kind of question is that? What is faithfulness? I'm driving. Don't want to give the wrong answer. What is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? Hmm, what is faith? Faithfulness is being consistent, Dr. Doesn't it? He said, Calvin, faithfulness is serving the call that God has placed on your life until the day that you die. Through ups and downs, through thicks and thins, it is standing with God in your calling if somebody comes, if nobody comes. I've walked with Dr. Gary Chapman into marriage conferences and there are like only 20 people in the church that holds 2,000, just 20 married couples. And I have watched this man serve those 20 people like he was serving one million because he did not walk by sight. <laughs> he walked by faith and he valued every human soul that much. He wasn't seeking his own. He was seeking the things that belonged to Jesus Christ. I learned that from watching this man, my mentor. My resilience in the ministry reflects Dr. Gary Chapman, and here's an interesting one. Even the benediction that I recite at the end of every one of our services was taught to me by Pastor Scott Jefferson. If you ever watch him, you'll see that he does the exact same thing that I do, and I do it the exact same way that he does it. Now unto him who is able. I even inflect my voice at the same places where he inflects his voice. He was my mentor. He trained me. And I am the image of other great men of God. That's what mentors do. They shape people. And this is why God gives us mentors. This is why God gives us mentors. Because he wants to shape us in certain images. And so he puts us with people to allow us to ingest certain characteristics, not all the characteristics, I'm not a very nice guy, but the characteristics that God has assigned to me to impart to other people. A mentor has to know what those good qualities are and the mentor has to know how God intends to use him to impart these values into other human souls. Somebody was talking about, about preaching, said, so, well, well, you preach this way and that way and sometimes I wish you would do it this way and that way. And I was thinking to myself at the moment they were saying, I was thinking, that's not my purpose. When I am preaching, listen to this, you guys probably didn't even know this. When I am preaching, I am not trying to give you information. Did you know that? I am not trying to give you any information. You know what I'm doing when I'm preaching? I am teaching you how to interpret the text. That's all I'm trying to do. Train you how to interpret the text, how to see the text the way that I see it. That's more important than any information I could ever give you. You know why? 
Because long after I am dead and gone, when you run into struggles and challenges in your life, you'll be able to open the book and see what I saw. <laughs> I'm trying to impart not just a methodology, but the spirit of it. Once you grasp it, you have it for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's what God uses mentors to do, to train you how to think, not to tell you what to think. If I teach you how to think and you learn to think the way that I think, you'll come to the same conclusions that I come to without me. And that's how I will know when I have done my job effectively, when you can come to the conclusion without me. Mentors are working themselves out of a job, hopefully. Too much even of a good thing, brothers and sisters, can also be too much. Too much of a good thing can't even become problematic. What do I mean? As I observe the church today, as I observe the faith today, I see so many believers running here and there, searching to and fro with itching ears, yearning to find not someone with whom, not with someone with whom they can agree, but searching for a mentor who already agrees with their sensibility. <laughs> Instead of trying to find a mentor who can train me to think even better, many believers are just trying to find a mentor who already thinks what they think. Guaranteeing no spiritual growth and no spiritual development. I want to warn us all today that that is not how mentorship works. And if the person that you have chosen as your mentor agrees with you on most every abstract point, that person is not your mentor. That person is your friend and your colleague. That is not a mentor. Your mentor by design knows more than you know. Otherwise, why would that person even be your mentor? Your mentor is not your peer. Your mentor is not greater than you. Your mentor is just further up the road than you are. Your mentor has simply been tried and proven faithful. You really should only have one mentor at a time for various aspects of your life curriculum. <laughs> I was walking around a park one day, got a call from a member of a church. And he was upset to me because his house was being foreclosed on. And he was talking, he said, man, I'm so frustrated with pastor, man. He told me to buy that house. He gave me direction to buy that house. And now I'm losing my house in foreclosure. What should I do? I'm so mad, I wanna to talk to him. And I'm on the phone, I said to him, I said, does the pastor have a real estate license? No, no, you know what is your pastor in financial management? No, 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 You took advice to buy a home and to get a mortgage from a pastor who has no experience in real estate. That's your fault. Your pastor is not your real estate agent. Your pastor is not to tell you what kind of car you need to buy. Those are your decisions. You need to get a mentor now. Now, you should find yourself a, financial liter a financially literate mentor to help you in making those kinds. Of, you should only have one mentor at a time, but you can have multiple uh, uh, mentors for different aspects of your life curriculum. One for your career, 
one for financial management. It's good to have mentors. One for your marriage, one for your single life. Someone to mentor you in your hobbies. You should also have a Christian mentor to assist you in prioritizing all of these aspects of your life and helping you to understand the parameters that God has established in his word for your life. That's the role of the Christian mentor. And this week I challenge each of us to look back over your Christian life. Look back over your walk with God. And as you look back, I want you to recall those mentors that God placed into your life who helped you along the way. Identify those people who, has, who have served as mentors in your life. Affirm the positive role that God has placed them into your life to serve. Understand how they helped you to develop and to be formed spiritually. Recall the lessons that you learned from those mentors, whether verbal lessons or by their godly examples. Who are those people in your life? Identify them. Recall them. Every once in a while I talk about those people I just mentioned to you. Every once in a while I just talk about them and remember. 